Amen. Good morning, church. And welcome to another <laughs> Stranger Story series. Spring is here, and it's good to see winter saying goodbye and things warming up a little bit. And of course, spring is a season of rebirth, new life, new things, and uh, things that were dead and dry are coming back to life again, and it is great to experience new life. Also, it is a season that tells us that it is life after death, not just because things are coming alive in nature, but because, listen, spring is the season in which Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Of course, here in South Africa, we celebrate Easter in autumn, but you must remember in the Middle East where it happened, Jesus actually died, was buried, and rose again in the beginning of spring. So to me, spring always reminds me of new life. There is life after death. There is hope. Amen. Well, not only is it a new season, but of course, a new series, season two of Stranger Stories. Just like we did last year in this series, we are going to look at some of the uh, strange stories in the Bible. Actually, stranger stories in the Bible because um, just about every story in the Bible is strange, isn't it? I mean, who builds a boat nowhere near a river? <laughs> no, it did. Well, who, who walks on water? Oh, Jesus did. So just about everything you read in the Bible anyway is strange. But there are some of these stories that maybe, maybe you've heard them, but it's not usually the stories which you hear often in, in sermons and spoken from the pulpit. Yet they contain lessons about God, about spiritual life, about day-to-day -day life. And so we are going to look at some of those stories during the month of September. Last year, we looked at uh, the talking donkey, the walking dead, the floating axe head, and the lion chaser. If you miss them, go to our sermon page on our website, and you can watch or listen to them again. And during the month of September, four more are coming up. Today's strange story is titled, Wrestling with God wrestling with God. And it comes from Genesis chapter 32. Have you ever wrestled with God? I mean, maybe, maybe yes, in the sense that um, I'm sure many of us have, in the sense that we, we, we wrestle with God in prayer, you know, or in conversation. We, you know, we pour our hearts to God. We pour our fears, our doubts our questions to God. And, and we do it sometimes in, in quiet prayers, sometimes in loud prayers, sometimes shouting to God, where are you? Yeah, I've done that. And I'm still alive. <laughs> because life happens, guys. And sometimes the only way to find some kind of an answer or to give vent what is going on is just to cry out to God and you wrestle with God looking for an answer, looking for a way out, looking for a solution, looking for a direction. Sometimes we do it in despair, sometimes in anger, sometimes just in a hurry to get an answer quickly. And of course, God is never in a hurry, is he? It's like he thinks he's got all the time in the world, which he does. He does. 
But we are the ones who get desperate. And sometimes it's so difficult to learn that lesson that we heard about last week. Wait. <laughs> Wait on God. But what makes today's story stranger, a stranger story, is that this man didn't wrestle with God just in prayer or in a dream or just speaking out loud on his own. This man wrestled physically with God. And the Bible says that he survived to tell the tale. He prevailed. Let's read Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 to 32. It says, that night, Jacob, so we're talking about Jacob today, okay? Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok, the little river. He crossed the river. And remember, we spoke about last week, back in the Bible days, there were some things that God did not approve of, but he tolerated. And one of them was having two wives. But there's a reason why I had two wives, and we'll get to that later. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. Have you ever been left alone all by yourself? Somewhere? <laughs> okay. So now everything that Jacob had, and he had lots of things, as we'll see just now. Everything was gone now. And he's all by himself there next to the river. And it says that a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now listen, this always gets strange. Listen carefully. A man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched <laughs> the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Wow. He just touched Jacob and his hip came undone. He couldn't walk. He couldn't balance himself anymore. He started lumping. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Whoa, what kind of man is this? So first of all, he touches the man, Jacob, and he, he's crippled out. So he can't really fight anymore. So what he does is he holds on to this guy, and he won't let him go. Okay? I, I'm, not, I'm not going. You're not going either. We're staying here. I can't fight you, but you're not going anywhere. And then he tells this man, I won't let you go until you bless me. What kind of a man was this? I will not let you go until you bless me. 27. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why would you ask my name? Then he blessed him, Jacob. He blessed Jacob there. And so Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face. So according to, jo to Jacob's interpretation of this event, he had been 
struggling, wrestling with God, and I'd see him face to face. And he says, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The Bible is very clear. No one shall see God and live. And so he says, man, if I'm fighting with God, <laughs> I lived. My life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Is this a strange story or what? Huh? What did you hear as I read the story to you? What, what is in your thinking? How does it apply to you? What can you learn from this weird, strange story? Well, to make more sense of what we have read, let's, let's go back and, and talk a little bit about Jacob. Who is this Jacob? Well, unfortunately, Jacob is not the nicest guy in Scripture. Okay? He, he was Isaac's son from Rebekah, his, his wife. And uh, he was one of a twin. They were twins. And Esau was born first. But while Rebekah was pregnant, these twins were fighting in her. Now, she didn't know what was going on because back in those days, there were no sonars to see what's going on inside there. So she just knew there was turmoil all the time because these two guys were going for each other. Jacob and Esau were having a lack of time in there. And then when Esau was born, he came out first, but Jacob grabbed his heel. <laughs> and as Esau came out, here comes the little hand holding on to the heel of Esau. All right? And so his mother gave Jacob his name. Jacob means he who is a heel catcher. It's a heel catcher. It literally means a heel catcher. But now, heel catcher is also an idiom which means someone who takes another one's place. Not in a nice way, but by scheming. Okay? Someone who takes another one's place by scheming. Uh, therefore, one who deceives. And so Jacob, the significance of his name, although he means a heel catcher, what his name signifies is I am a deceiver. I deceive people. <laughs> okay? I try to get at other people's places and things by deceit. Well, when he grew up, he first took Esau's birthright. Remember when, when Esau came home, he was very hungry. He was, Esau was a hunter. He was a you know, macho man, hunting and so on. And, and Esau was more of a kind of a shepherd, more of a calm guy. But uh, so one day while Esau was watching me, this lovely stew, Esau comes home. He's hungry. He's dying of hunger. And uh, he says, give me some of that soup. Jacob says, well, give me your birthright. He says, listen, I'm going to die anyway if I don't eat. So take my birthright and give me the soup. And so Jacob got the birthright. Now, back in those days, and even, you know, not till today, I suppose, but in that culture, um, if you're a firstborn, when your parents passed away, you got double the others, all right? So the, the birth person always was more privileged and more advantaged. 
But not, to make matters worse, when his father was old, Isaac was old, and he wanted to bless his firstborn, Esau, Jacob took his place. Jacob deceived his father because his father was blind. And so he went in and he pretended to be Esau. His mother helped him. He was a mommy's boy. You know, his mother helped him a little bit as well. It was her favorite son. And so he deceived his father and received the blessing of the firstborn. When Esau arrived to, to get the blessing and found out that his son had stolen his blessing, he was furious. First the guy, you know, takes away his birthright. Now he takes his blessing. So he says, man, as soon as dad is dead, I'm going to kill you. I mean, those guys were like, no nonsense, you know. So Jacob ran away. His mom suggested he goes to her brother Laban, you know, and so Jacob ran away to his uncle's place, far, far away. <laughs> now, when he gets to his uncle, he gets some of his own medicine because he fell in love with the younger daughter of Laban. He says, I want to marry her. So Laban says, okay, work for me seven years. Come on, guys. Would you work seven years for a bride? Well, if you love her, if it's very nice and very cute, I suppose, I don't know. But the Bible says the guy worked for seven years, okay? And he says it was like, like nothing. It went by quickly. And so the day came, yippee! Yeah? And, uh, and, and Laban put a veil over his daughter and, and gave him to, 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 to Jacob, you know, in the evening and so forth. Next morning when the daylight comes on, he says, it's not the youngest daughter, it's the older daughter. He goes back to Laban, what have you done? I want to marry. He says, come on, it's, it's, it's tradition over here, man. I can't, I can't give my younger daughter before giving my first daughter. You want my younger daughter to work another seven years? So he got some of his own medicine and his son cheated him. Uh, his uncle cheated him. So now he works for another seven years and he marries the younger daughter that you loved and so on. But then he says, now, I've been working for you, uncle, and so forth. You know, how about, you know, I, I, I share some things of yours. And the uncle said, okay, every, you know, spot and speckled lamb and, and cow and eh, of all I've got, you, you can have that. So Laban began to, uh, Jacob began to play a trick on his uncle and he began to do things, little things he did when they're drinking himself on. And he began to cause the flock to have spotted and speckled, you know, offspring. And he began to get more and more and more. He began to cheat on his uncle again. Okay. Oh, what a guy. Deceive his uncle. And before he knew it, this guy had more than his uncle had. And his uncle said, what's going on, man? You take all my stuff away. He says, well, that's what we agreed, you know, blah, 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 blah. But of course, he was cheating. And so, things got so bad that he had to leave. He had to flee. He actually fled, and then the uncle caught up with him, and they had words, and, and so on, and, and, and there he let him go. Because also, Jacob felt that by this time, 20 years had gone past from the time he left home. So he felt, maybe by now my brother has cooled off. I think I should go back. He felt he should go back home again. He felt the Lord was telling him to go back. And so he started traveling back home with all the stuff that he had. And so he sent some messengers ahead you know, to, to meet, to tell his brother that he's coming home. The messengers come back and say, hey... <laughs> Your brother is not waiting for you at home. He's coming for you. But he's not coming alone. He's got 400 men with him. He's got an army with him. But So I don't know if, if he's coming to... I don't think it's a welcoming committee. I think he's coming to sort things out between you two. And of course, Jacob got very, very scared. 
And being Jacob, he quickly began to make a plan. Because Jacob is, Jacob may make a plan Jacob. Alright? His whole life, he's been making plans to his advantage. And trying to do things. So, he makes a plan. He, he divides all his, his whole camp. He puts half the side, half that side, so that if, if, if you know, Esau attacks this camp, this one will survive, and, and so on. Then he gets a whole bunch of gifts, cows and sheep and, uh, I don't know, everything. And, and, and he, he makes little packages of these things and starts saying them one by one. With servants says, just go and, and come to Esau and say, this is a gift from your brother, and, and, and so forth. See if my brother will kind of call off that by the time he gets to me, you know, he's not so angry and he might forget. Give me. So he's like this, and he's making plans and so forth. And then Jacob prays for help. When he hears that his brother is coming with 400 men, he prays. It's the first time in Scripture that you see and that's recorded that Jacob prays. Jacob never prayed, man, never consulted God. He always make a plan, make a plan, make a plan. He believed in the blessing which had been given to Abraham and for the descendants. And so he said, man, I'm blessing you. I don't need to make. So he just made plans, made plans on his own. But now he's scared. Now he, can, he can't go back to Laban. He, he's going home, but his brother's coming for him. So now he's got a predicament. And so he prays. But just before he prays, he makes one more quick plan and does all that division of the camps and so on. And then he prays. Genesis 32, verses 6 to 12. You can uh, kind of hear his prayers here. When the, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. <laughs> In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and all the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, if he so comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed. <laughs> First, he did all he could in his own strength. Without consulting God, nothing. Why didn't he pray first? No. First, he makes a plan, you know, according to his way of thinking. Then he prays. And he says, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. Wow, the man is kind of realizing some things here. And he's, and he's actually Worshipping God and thanking God. He says, I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. But now, I have become two camps. When he came from home, he was running away. He just had his stick with him. Not kind of they used to defend themselves. That's all he had. Now he's going back with all this, you know, wealth. He says, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I am afraid. That he will come and attack me. And also the mothers were their children. But you have said. So he, he, he worships God. Then, then he, he petitions God. And then he stands on a promise. He says, but you have said, I will surely make you prosper. And will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Wow. So he prays. This guy is scared, man. And so he talks to God. But watch this. After praying, he goes back 
And he makes one more quick plan by sending gifts to, to Esau. You know, those, I said those packages, he, he put a lot of gifts together and started sending them to Esau. He does that after praying. Finally, he sends his wives and children across the river, and then he stays alone. Just a moment alone that night. Last night, don't spend alone. And that is when he has this experience that you've just read where this man comes and he wrestles with God. Now listen. From birth, Jacob had been a self-sufficient man. He was strong-willed and self-sufficient. He relied on himself and on himself alone. He made plans to achieve what he wanted. And even when he prays, he still makes plans just after he prays. He doesn't just surrender to God. He quickly makes another plan. He quickly sends some gifts to my brother, maybe to you know, appease him. And... But now, in chapter 32, the self-world, strong, you know, Makaplan kind of guy, we find him scared. He doesn't know where to turn. He's trying to make plans, but he is scared. He is not in control. And after he sends his wife and children, he's totally alone. And then comes the strange story that we read today. A physical encounter with God. Not a dream. Not a metaphor. A real encounter. Who is this man that wrestles with him? He does not give his name. When Jacob asks him for his name. And yet, he has the power to bless Jacob. He has the power to cripple him just with a touch. Come on, if you're going to wrestle and I'm going to hurt you so that you become a crippled man, I've got to you know, be very strong and do something terrible to you. No, he just goes, ding, and Jacob goes, oi. Is out, crippled. Who is this man? Well, Jacob says that he wrestled with God. That is his take on the whole thing. The prophet Hosea says that Jacob struggled with the angel. Not an angel, the angel. In the Old Testament, many times God revealed himself as a person. And this seems to be one of those times. And whether it was Jesus appearing to Jacob at that moment, or one of God's mighty angels being sent by God to do this to Jacob, the fact is that encounter was a divine, life-changing encounter. It was supernatural. It wasn't natural. It wasn't normal. It wasn't a normal human being. It was something supernatural. And God came and encountered Jacob. Jacob would not surrender. Even during that wrestling match. He kept wrestling. Eventually God touches his hip and he gets dislocated. And now Jacob is not able to wrestle. But he won't let go. He just holds on to the guy. He won't let go. And he declares or not let go until God blesses him. And then God asks his name. Now listen. Didn't God know his name? Doesn't God know everything? <laughs> listen, folks. Whenever God asks a question, 
Whenever God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. God asks a question because he wants you to consider and reflect upon that answer. That question is for you to hear yourself, hear the answer, and think about it. It's to confront you with the answer. He knows. Don't you think he knew where Adam and Eve was? Adam, where are you? God knew exactly where Adam was. What's your name? It's almost like saying, Jacob, what's your name? <laughs> but he says, what's your name? What's your name? And in answering God, Jacob had to face his identity because he had to say, my name is Deceiver. I, I, I'm, I'm that guy, the heel grabber. The one that causes others to trip. I'm the one who takes the place of the others by the seat. I'm the one who I've got all these things because I made plans and schemes and I cut corners and I am a deceiver. He had to face his real identity and confess who, he's, who he really was. An ankle grabber, a deceiver. In the moment of greatest fear, loneliness, and weakness, he came face to face with who he really was. And after confessing it, God blesses him by changing his name and making a surprising declaration. Verse 28 of Genesis 32 says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. In his brokenness and his, in his clinging to God, he became an overcomer. This is the point, that he became an overcomer. Holding to God, clinging to God, Facing his identity, confessing what he was and who he was. Jacob means he deceives or deceiver, but Israel means he struggles, he struggles with God. He became the father of the nation of Israel that night. The nation we have today, Israel, began that night when God changed Jacob to Israel, his 12 children became the 12 tribes of Israel, which eventually became the nation of Israel, which still exists to today, and with which God will still deal as his special people. Hmm. Israel was given its name, contender with God, or soldier of God, or the prince that prevails with God. All these meanings are wrapped up in the name Israel, which was given to Jacob. Soldier of God, the prince that prevails with God, and contender with God. Now listen, there are many lessons in this story, in this very strange story. Many take-home thoughts and truths. But here are three of them. Number one, challenges are no sign of abandonment. 
Challenges are no sign of abandonment. When Jacob was in this major, major challenge, he might have thought that God was gone. He was alone. When he stayed by himself that night on the river, all his wealth, all his people have gone on and he's on his own. He could have thought, man, I am lost. I have been abandoned. I've been such a bad boy that God has not forgotten about me. But God was there all the time. And that night, he has a confrontation with God. And sometimes in our difficulties, it feels like God has moved. <laughs> He's gone to another galaxy. He's not here anymore. My problem, my doubt, my fear, my situation, my finances, my relationships, my this, my that, my ouch, my pain. Uh, where is God? But listen, difficulties are not a sign of the absence of God. Sometimes life is hard. It can be due to our bad choices. It can be due to the bad choices of others. Somebody does something stupid, then you, you get the pain of it. Sometimes it can be a direct attack from the devil. But no matter the difficulty, listen, God is there. We just have to turn to him, acknowledge him, run to him. If God had not been there, Jacob would not have made it. Israel would not exist. Jacob would have been wiped out. But God was there. God was there. Number two. God sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. What does it mean? Self-sufficiency is not God's will for us. It's not his best for us. Now, the world praises those who move from dependency into independency. The world praises the self-sufficient man, the self-made man, you know, and you go, whoa, look at that. That's not God's plan for us. God's kingdom is about interdependency. My self-sufficiency comes not from my scheming, my plans, and my strong will, but by working with God. So it's not self, it's me and God. It's not independence, it's interdependence. And I have to realize that my life on this planet is interdependent of my fellow human beings, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my family, the people I work with, the people I serve. I cannot live independently from them. And I cannot live independently from God. I depend on the Lord. Amen. As Paul said, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. So it is about doing the will of Christ, not my own will. It's by living life through the strength of Christ in me, by partnering with God and allowing him to direct me, to help me make the plans. And find solutions. And doing things his way, not my way. Oh, the world loves Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. <laughs> it's, it's okay to sing the song here. Try and sing that song in the presence of the Lord one day. Ain't gonna work, baby. <laughs> God wants us to do it. His way. <laughs> and 
And may that be the song of our lives. I did it his way. <laughs> because that's what he wants from us. He created us to be in relationship with us and to do life with us. Life in this earth, in this planet, and life eternal. <laughs> Doing things his way, not my way. Jacob had become self-sufficient and he had done things his way, but it not, did not end well. He kept on getting into trouble, right? Every time he did something, he got what he wanted. And then he had to run because here comes trouble. And we tend to do the same thing. We still tend to do things our own way. And then comes up, oh, God, help me. Let's learn to do things God's way first. Amen? But listen, it's not self-sufficiency. It's God-sufficiency. Amen? If it had not been the intervention of God, if Jacob had not turned to God and held on to him, he would have been destroyed. And so will we, if we become totally self-sufficient. Hey, we might do okay in this life, but life doesn't end when this life ends. Huh? What about the other life? And if you're self-sufficient in this life, you're not going to be God-sufficient in the next life. Mm, okay. Number three, total surrender. Total surrender. God loves you and wants your undivided attention and devotion. God will pursue you. And if you continue to ignore him, he may put you in a situation where you have to realize your limitations and become more willing to submit to him than to do your own will. God will do this until the pain of changing is less than the pain of staying the same. And man, we do things. We do life. We try this. Da, 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 da. But God will pursue us. And there will come a point in our lives where our plans will backfire big time. And then we have to be confronted. And then we better change. Because if we don't change, it's going to be worse. The pain is going to be greater than if we change. Now, nobody likes change. Nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes aligning up and doing the right thing. We don't do the easy thing, the comfortable thing, the lacquer thing, the please me thing, the pleasure thing. And that's what gets us into trouble. Because we go, ta, 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 and then boom. <laughs> Let's rather do things God's way. Because then peace comes. Then joy comes. Then things begin to get into their place. Total surrender. God will pursue you until that happens. As we consider Job's encounter, think about how God is working in your life. How is he working in your life today? How he might want you to respond. All of us, some way or another, are linked to God. Some closer, some more distant. Some hardly ever think about God. Some think of God all the time. But God is pursuing us. What are we doing about it? Are we ignoring him or are we giving attention to what he's trying to tell us to do? Hmm? Have you encountered God in such a way that you have completely surrendered your life to him? Or are you still holding on to some? The time in my life, in my teenage years, where I gave part of my life to God. <laughs> I said, God, you can have my whole house, but not that room. That room is my room. <laughs> and 
And when Jesus came to visit, he says, well, dear, how are you doing? I'm fine. He says, I want to go into that room. He says, no, Lord, you can have everything else in the lounge, the kitchen, the toilet. That room is mine. He says, no, 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 all, all I want is that room. Oh, come on, God. That's my fun room. That's where I do the things I like, the things that I want to talk to God about. But there came a point I had to surrender. I had to open that room <laughs> and surrender everything to God. Where are you? Have you surrendered everything? Oh, <laughs> you're still keeping that room or that drawer or that cupboard. <laughs> Not that, Lord. If you have surrendered, what is God asking you to do now? When we are in a relationship with God, there is always something to do. There is always something that God is leading us to do, to improve, to, to achieve. God is always taking us somewhere. So, what are the next steps of surrender that God is talking about to you today? Is he wanting you to submit to him? Does he want you to hold on to him? Do you need to go somewhere alone and wrestle with God? Sometimes we need to do that. Sometimes we need to be by ourselves, go to a room, go to the field somewhere, go to the bush and just have a time with God alone. And get things right with God or seek his help or pray. Is it an area where you need to lay your fleshly desires down, your pride, your self-sufficiency, and become obedient to his will? Jesus said, teach them to obey everything that I taught you. You know, we, we've turned the gospel into a prayer. Prayer like this, amen, amen. Now you're born again, hallelujah. No, no, Jesus didn't send us to make converts. He says, go and make disciples. Disciples are those who not only hear the word only, but do the word. They learn to obey. It's more than a prayer. Prayer is good, that's the beginning. But it must be followed by obey. Do what God says we must do. How's it going with you? You need to lay down some stuff and become obedient? What about this? Have you followed Jesus in water baptism after you believed? If you have not been baptized yet, out of your own will and your own decision, what is holding you back? Jesus said, believe and be baptized. That should be something you do after you believe. Out of your choice, out of obedience to Christ. Have you done that? And we want to have a baptism service here in October. And so if any of you, those of you online as well, if you want to be baptized and make use of that, just let us know. Contact us. Contact me. Go to our email. Send us uh, in the church here at the back there. There are some uh, water baptism sign-up forms. So just fill in one. Leave it on the, on the back there. And we'll contact you and, and uh, get it ready. Okay? So be obedient to that. Is fear holding you back? Fear of the future. Fear of the consequences of the past. Fear of the unknown. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. God is love. So love of God in us casts out fear. Now, th there is a normal, natural, and healthy fear. But then there is an unnatural, oppressive, paralyzing, binding fear. Which needs to be dealt with. In the presence of God. Listen, when Jacob had that encounter with God, he was full of fear. By the morning, 
he was wounded and walking with a limp. But he had heard from God, he had a new name, a new hope, and now he had faith. That's what happens when you have an encounter with God. You might walk out of there with some pain and limping a little bit, but you walk out with a promise, with faith, with hope. We read that the next day, he went to meet his brother. He was trying to send things in front, and he was trying to keep himself back. The next day, because of his encounter with God, he went to the front. He went right up ahead. He let his family come behind him. He went right in front. He took the lead, and he went to confront his brother. Bible says when he got to his brother, he bowed down seven times. And that was the practice back in those days when you met a king. When you come to, to meet a king, you bow down seven times. Why was that? He was humbling himself. He acknowledged that Esau was the master. At that moment, he acknowledged Esau as the master. He's humbling himself before Esau. Not the proud Jacob, Makaplan Jacob, I'm going to run. No, no, no. Humble Jacob, humbling himself. No more pride, no more scheming, no more trying to make a plan. Just simple humility. You know what happened? When Esau saw Jacob, he ran to Jacob. He hugged him, kissed him. The guy's made up. The brother's made up, man. By this time, Esau had become quite a great nation as well. And he became the leader of the Edomites. And so, God's reconciliation. All that fear all, just dissolved in a moment of reconciliation. Why? Because at an encounter with God, he humbled himself. He became a changed man. Hallelujah. Well, in closing... The fact that God had an encounter with Jacob, <laughs> that God had an encounter with a scoundrel <laughs> like Jacob, you know what? It tells us that there is no one who's too far gone to turn back to God. There's no one who's too far out that God cannot help, that God cannot have mercy with, that God cannot forgive, that God cannot bless. Jacob's encounter with God Gives me hope, man. Gives us hope. Because it means it doesn't matter what, what, what we've done or the terrible things in our past. Or No, we can still run to God. It's not too late. Listen, if you can hear my voice, if you are here or if you are watching or if you are listening and you can hear this message, it's not too late for you. <laughs> we can still run to God and be blessed by Him. Even if it's just a bless, the blessing of faith. That we have faith to face tomorrow, faith to go on with our lives, faith to rebuild, faith to conquer, faith to pursue a dream or a vision, and that which God has put in our hearts. Mm. A relationship with God requires a point of surrender, a point of brokenness. And the question is, are you there? And if not, what is it going to take? To get you there. Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I ask you to take a moment. Those online, those here. Just, just take a moment to ponder. Very briefly on what has God been speaking to you. In this message. 
I, I believe there's a, a little bit of Jacob in each one of us, one way or the other, one degree or the next. We all love to be self-sufficient, to make our own plans, to go our own ways. We like to manipulate people, manipulate situations so that things work out for my good, you know. And yet God is speaking to us today and saying, no, 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 it's not your way. It is my way. It's not always the easiest way. It may even be a painful way. But I want you to be with me. Follow my way. That is the way of peace. That is the way of renewal. That is the way of true joy. And that is the way of salvation and relationship with God. And so right now, right there where you are, maybe you need to surrender something to God. It may be your life. Maybe you need to say, Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Help me to be a follower of yours. Help me to do your will. It's not just about a quick prayer. It's about a decision to continuously do his will. And you can make that prayer right now between you and the Lord. Maybe there is something that you need to lay down before God. Something you need to give up. Something you need to confess right now. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and talk to God. Thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for speaking to us. Thank you for talking to us through this strange story, the stranger story of Jacob and He's wrestling with God. And just like Jacob held on to you, O God, help us to follow that as well, to hold on to you, Lord, to choose you first, choose your will first. Because that is your will for us, Lord. I pray your blessing upon everyone here present, everyone online, everyone listening to this message, Lord. I know you have a blessing for each one of us. So I pray your blessing, Lord God. You know each individual. You know each individual need. You know the guidance that each person needs. You know the breakthrough that each person needs. You know the victory, Lord, that each person needs. You know the healing, Lord, that each person needs. And so I speak for freedom and blessing and healing and breakthrough and hope and encouragement and life and restoration in Jesus. Jesus' name, Lord, bless each one, Father God, according to their need this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you for this time together, Lord. And now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit remain upon each one of us as we hold on to you, O God, seeking to do your will, surrender to you, God-sufficient, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.